0: Hey hotties, we're back with Marie and um, had a chuckle because I asked for her last name. Marie, tell us your last name.
1: My last name is Hoig. Hoig.
0: All right. We'll get to where people can find you before we close out. But we're back with Marie. This is part two of Smoking Hot Flashes. If you haven't listened to the first one in our conversation with Marie, I encourage you to please do that. We had a great conversation. Stevie. Oh my gosh, we did. We talked about the importance of estrogen.
2: We talked about hormone sweet spot. We talked about hormone balancing. We talked about sex. Talk about sex,
0: baby. Baby.
2: So go back and definitely
0: listen to that first episode. The first part of this episode. First part of the episode. Yeah, Smoking Hot Flashes. This is a podcast about menopause produced by Badassery Life. And I'm glad to be back and appreciate Marie joining us for... Part two. And in this episode, we wanted to talk a little bit more about hormone and hormone therapies. So kick us off with that fun topic.
1: Yeah, hormone therapies are an interesting tool. And I think they need to be looked at as a tool because they perform, they do things and how they're used, how they're dosed. I break it down into what I call four generations of HRT, just so when I educate about HRT, that I can differentiate between them, especially when I train doctors on this HRT system is good for this, and this one is good for this, and this one is good for this, you don't want to use this one for this. The first generation HRT systems are considered low-dose therapies. They're usually synthetic protocols like Premarin and Prempro. And they're prescribed usually by doctors, conventional medicine doctors who have no training in estrogen or any sort of hormone replacement therapy technique. And they typically just read the package insert of the hormone for their instruction and then dose the patient accordingly. These hormones are short acting. They only work for about three to six to maybe nine months that you can push it because the dose is too low. The brains and bodies of women require much more than what this low synthetic dose hormone can do. Second-generation HRT are the non-synthetics, the compounded creams, the patches, the still low dose, but the, the big, biggest dif- differentiating factor with this generation is the fact that they're mo- mostly bioidentical, meaning they're derived from a, a Mexican wild yam. Though not all hormones are completely natural, uh, every hormone, no matter where they're de- or plant-derived hormones, are synthesized in a lab to a, a, pr- a certain degree to change the molecular structure to mimic a human molecular structure. So there's no real, true natural estrogen. Like you can't just take a Mexican wild yam and rub it on you, and you have estrogen. These protocols are very popular: patches, cream, transdermal creams, orals, sublinguals. But they're also low-dose. They're designed to keep hormones low at all times, so the patient still remains in a state of deficiency. But the goal of these particular hormones is to manage the symptoms, and these are short-acting. They only work for about three- to nine-month period of time because the brains and bodies of women require more than low-dose therapy. Then the third-generation protocol is A rhythmic, it's a a bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, but it's administered at higher doses of estrogen and progesterone that we consider moderate dosing. It's higher than the low dose, but not as high as the optimal dose, but it's administered in a rhythmic cyclical pattern that matches the natural physiology of the hormone that's being administered. So for instance, estrogen has its own hormone tide cycle throughout the 20th day cycle and progesterone has its own cycle and the hormones are taken in a way and dosed in a way that the patient is actually mimicking that cycle by the dosing of hormones they're taking that day. So there's this natural physiological process that takes place. So your brain and body don't care where it gets estrogen, whether you're producing it or you're giving it to yourself, it just wants it and it wants enough of it so that it can get to work on the body. There, this particular protocol is the first protocol that really brought back menstrual cycle resurrection and maintenance. It's really where we found out that, oh, you can actually recreate a healthy menstrual cycle in women, and they this is where they really feel their best. They have the least amount of complaints, the least amount of headaches, a good libido, good energy, good executive function. Really, It's really the sweet spot. But there's so many clinical challenges to this particular protocol that if you prescribe it the way it's been formulated, it only works on a about 20% of the female patient base. And then there's like a derivative of this third generation where doctors are beating their heads against the wall with this third generation protocol that they've tried to figure out all the nuances of the protocol. Like, how do I keep my patient from getting depression in the luteal phase of her cycle? Well, then you make the adjustment in the follicular phase. And so there are some protocols that are proprietary compounds, or you can use Like injections, some transdermal creams that are concentrated and formulated to restore hormones to reach uh, a certain level. So each generation of HRT has different clinical goals and outcomes. The outcome that you'll get with a fourth generation protocol is different than what you'd get with the first generation. So you really, if a woman wants to maintain optimal health and put her brain and body back, into her reproductive prime, so to speak, by way of hormone signaling, you would want to use a third or fourth generation HRT system designed to do that.
2: So Marie, I've got a couple of questions for you because you sure. mentioned creams, oral patches, all that is. Do you have a preference? Is there one that's better
1: than another? See, the end goal, you have to focus on the end goal. So when I train physicians, it's like, what are we trying to achieve? Well, you want to get the estrogen in this range. You want to get the progesterone in this range and so on and so forth. And these are your tools. Your HRT is your tools. That's your arsenal. So the doctor chooses an HRT system based off of what the patient is able to tolerate, to comply with. But the end goal is the same. Let's just say we want to achieve a level of estrogen of 300. Well, you don't just load a woman up with 300. You need to give her an HRT system that you can get that level into the blood. And some systems are better. I did use a compounded cream for a long time and it worked out really well until I wanted to, until they changed the formula, the base cream, the formula. And then now all of a sudden the whole protocol stopped working. And so I crashed and I'm back into menopause and I didn't know what caused it. And then finally, when I figured out what caused it, I wanted to try a new protocol. And that's when I started taking injections so I started to do a rhythmic injectable protocol with weekly estrogen injections and cycling progesterone orally. So like say with progesterone, so estrogen has its own effective and not so effective ways of getting estrogen into the system. And then there's also progesterone, that transdermal creams or orals work out real well for women when it comes to progesterone, but not estrogen. So it's really dialing, figuring out which HRT system is this patient will work best with this patient based off of what they're coming in with regards to their symptoms. Understood. When is a good
2: time to start HRT?
1: Well, a good time to start HRT is sooner than later. It used to be we started when women were in their 50s and we waited until they were completely depleted and they're like, oh, okay, now we'll give you some then it got to a point where I was like talking to these women on the phone. And when I was having a doctor's meeting, I'm like, these women are miserable. And we're telling them to come back when they're 51. Right. And they're in their mid thirties. What am I, what are we supposed to do? I don't want to just hang up. And why do we have to wait? And so what's nice is working with doctors who think outside the box saying, well, when is the best time? Well, the best time to start hormone therapy is when a woman has decided she's done having children. You don't want to wait until you're completely depleted before you start hormone therapy. You want to start at the beginning of the decline. And most women after their second child don't produce reproductive. In fact, most women don't produce reproductive levels of hormones at all in this day and age for a handful of different reasons. But because most women are hormonally deficient and you can tell if you have PMS, if you have PMS, then you're hormonally deficient, but you want to get started right away. You, you just, you don't, Because the longer a woman goes without estrogen and progesterone, the more tissue damage takes place to her body, her cells, her organs, they start to shrivel up and die off. The processes in the body start to malfunction. And so the lower estrogen gets, the greater the physical malfunction and deterioration and decline. And the the same with the brain, it starts to deteriorate. The frontal lobe starts to shrink up and and then women just change. Because they're not the same woman anymore.
2: Yeah. So clearly, we need to Kelly. We need to market this podcast to women in their twenties. <laughs> yeah. Early, like get to it well, I didn't did. know this.
1: Yeah. As young, even women in their late twenties are perimenopausal, and but the <laughs> truth is, they never produce enough hormones through their pubescent transition to make it into the reproductive prime. So they're aging into perimenopause. So at
0: fifty, I'm fifty two my hormones, like I've, I'm very open about the fact that they're a hot mess. Actually, I'm very low on absolutely all of them. Again, I'm trying to get to that hormonal balance, but 53, no, I I was on birth control for way too long. Anyway, this is a judge-free zone. So that's good. (laughs) Uh, But now I'm listening. I'm like, so I'm not going to be one of those 52 year olds that gets pregnant, right? Like,
1: (laughs) no, you can't. Once you're out of eggs, you're out of eggs. Okay. We can't manufacture any of those. And the hormone signaling is what's really important with the levels and the periods are just a side effect. It's when you slowly, gradually bring estrogen on board, it will change how you look at life within an hour. It will change how you feel just underneath it all. Like, like, Every conversation I have, like when I give a patient HRT instruction, I say, this is how you're going to feel, or I don't tell them. And I tell them, give me a call in an hour and tell me what's going on. The first thing they say to me when they call me back in an hour is, am I imagining this? And I say to them, how many times in your life have you imagined this and it has worked? They say, I cannot, I, I can't believe how good I feel. How long is this going to last? And it's almost like this, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, My brain is clear. I feel happy. I want to go do things. I like my children. The things that are irritating me are not anymore. The things that trigger me are not anymore. And I'm giggling and laughing. And I skipped today. The, The things that women say that they experience just within a few hours of starting a good therapeutic dose system it's crazy. And I've been monitoring this because I couldn't believe it because it was like patient after patient was saying the same thing at the same intervals of their levels. And I'm yeah. like, well, this is nuts. How can this be so consistent? And then why aren't we doing this? And then after a while, it's like, okay, I'm going to measure this. So I started measuring clinical indicators. Then I started measuring lab work against clinical indicators over time. And I saw certain patterns. Oh, and women's estrogen is under 50 this is how they feel think and talk when it's between 100 and 200 this is how they think feel and talk and when it's in this range and so it's predictable and it's just and the diseases that go away
0: yeah it's one of those i'm listening to this and i'm like who knew i was ever going to want to be asking for more estrogen in my life but it's like again women don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And that's why I'm so fascinated. And I know Stevie, you have a question, but I just had to say, I'm like, here I am at 52. Please have, please increase my estrogen. Stevie, you, yeah, you go. I know you wanted to ask a quick question.
2: So I have a very practical question and this probably varies per doctor, but is HRT and this kind of functional medicine, is it covered by most insurances? And if not, is it fairly accessible?
1: Well, insurance companies are getting more and more on board with covering hormone therapy. The doctors that prescribe this type of hormone therapy don't take insurance because when doctors are affiliated with insurance companies, they make an agreement that they have to prescribe the medications the insurance companies tell them to once a diagnosis has been made a doctor can't just tell a woman take this dose eat this diet they can't do that and so in order for a doctor to prescribe the dosages that women require they have to be outside of that insurance box they have to disenroll with insurance companies so now they can say oh i'm going to prescribe this because if you get a diagnosis of say menopause or unspecified endocrine disorder then the doctor has to give prescribe a certain uh types of medications for you that it's not something that they think about so it's like oh this is what i have to prescribe now this is what on this is the list i get to choose from and this is the protocol so the doctors are really steered by the insurance company in the pharmaceutical industry on what treatment is available for women so these doctors that think outside of the box they pretty much try to educate themselves as much as possible and then they're not so afraid of it and they start to see how it works in the clinic. And then now they're able to prescribe according to how they see fit. So that's a long answer to the doctors who know how to get this done, dialed in right, do not take insurance. However, most hormone therapy is covered depending on which pharmacy you go to, even compounded HRT, but it is the injectables are easily accessible. And so is oral permetrium. And those are the top two hormones that are used to fully restore hormones in women. It's just finding that doctor and the team of people who understand the technique and the process to use that HRT to get you the end results that you're looking for. Perfect. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I'm going to take us, Marie, we have a Facebook group page smoking hot flashes and we asked we mentioned that we were going to be talking to you and cancer was a cancer and hormones is a big topic that came up and a couple of questions so if you don't mind i want to steer us that direction one of our hotties one of our hotties and one of my good friends Alison mcconnell she asked if you had any advice for hormone positive breast cancer survivors so she's a badass breast cancer survivor fought that good warrior of her. I'm so uh, proud and happy and and uh, appreciate everything that she had to go through. But she's at this point where she just really can't take anything related to HRT and are on the hormone blockers that remove block hormones from our bodies. So is she feels like she's living in this catch-22. Do you have any advice?
1: Question whether you need the hormone blockers. It's This is one of the big cancer scares that steer people away from taking hormone therapy. But estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer. Estrogen deficiency is what makes women a sitting duck for breast cancer. And because the general mindset is that estrogen causes cancer, our modern medical model revolves around it. And so they try to give women these estrogen blockers and estrogen strippers out of the body because they're under the impression that it's the estrogen that causes the cancer. If a woman has cancer and she starts taking estrogen, depending on how undetected cancer, depending on how large that tumor is, if the tumor is large, the estrogen will make that tumor grow faster and the woman would realize that she had cancer sooner than later. If the tumor is small, then the estrogen will kill off that cancer, and the woman would never know she had it at all. And what's difficult in this society is there isn't a whole lot of data on estrogen and cancer. There's some scares going on. There's some inaccurate data, a lot of misinformation about it. And as long as everybody is confused about it, The longer women will go without estrogen and they will need medications. Now, when doctors go to recommend putting a woman on an estrogen blocker, I I was up against this situation myself. I got cancer not long after I started therapeutic dose hormone therapy. But because I've been working in the field so long, I knew that it wasn't the estrogen that caused the cancer because, well, all all I work with is high-dose estrogen therapies and thousands of women over the years. And if estrogen caused cancer, a lot of our patients would have, and they didn't. And I started to research estrogen and cancer just because I wanted to know the truth, because what I was seeing from a clinical perspective wasn't what everybody was saying. And also it's like, well, then why did I get cancer and where did this come from? And so I realized one of the my team doc, team of doctors, my oncology team, I sat down and talked to her and said, where did this cancer come from? And she says, well, it's based on the size of your tumor, and it, it would be, it would originated about 15 to 20 years ago. And then she asked me about my health during that time, my stress level and my health and my diet at that time. And the things that we've come to learn over the years, we realize that with a very crappy diet, a high sugar diet, a lot of stress and being estrogen deficient is what makes women a sitting duck for cancer. And so, and then nobody on my oncology team thought that I caused my cancer with estrogen. So I started to research this a lot and was shocked by the lack of data that's out there. There shouldn't be any question on estrogen and cancer at all. It should be Point blank, yes or no. But part of the problem I found in my research is not all the data is there. There is no data on therapeutic dose estrogen therapy in cancer. The studies don't exist. They're not allowed. So the, you can't. And that's why I started a research foundation. Because there's there are no studies that talk about therapeutic doses and how little cancer there is. And how high-dose cancer therapy is what was used before the invention of tamoxifen, to not only treat cancer but fight cancer and prevent cancer. Yeah,
0: I know that's a like I said, I know that's a big topic, Stevie. There were a couple of other questions that our hotties asked. You want to?
2: Yeah, hottie Susan asked, "How do you know when it's time to cease HRT? Is it simply trial and error? Do you go off and then resume if your
1: symptoms return? How do you know?" Well, I'd have to say about ninety. 90- 85 to 90% of women who are on a therapeutic dose HRT system refuse to get off of it. It is very rare that a woman would want to get off of estrogen because of how it makes her feel. And she knows what life was like before. And a lot of women, when they get a taste of being happy all the time every day for no real good reason, they don't want to go back to the miserable woman who couldn't get out of bed and couldn't brush her teeth. Tell me about it. So it's hard. It's like, okay, I, they will do anything. Like with me, it's, I'm not getting off of estrogen. I'm just, I don't feel women. They don't feel good. They don't, they think about suicide. They think about horrible things. They live in fear and anxiety and depression, and they're not, not the person that they know that they are. So it's a very lonely, isolating existence. So when you, most women that I've worked with don't get off of their HRT.
0: Cause they're it not just, skipping and then they're not having sex. They're not happy.
1: No, it's a horrible right. way to live. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Why would you want that? But there are some reasons that women get off of it and they just go back to feeling crappy and bad and worse. And they're like, I can't handle this anymore. Yeah. But yeah. there does kind of, there is a time when when women, have been doing this long enough, that when women get into their 80s, they don't want a period anymore. And so they make adjustments in their HRT protocol where we dose it according to their body's age. Because it's not that, Though this type of HRT, the, the therapeutic dosing that I'm talking about, is a type of anti-aging longevity approach of, to life for women, the body will still age underneath it all, but just not in the same. But So the, the, the requirements tend to change over time. But if a woman can stop taking HRT anytime she wants to, but most women don't want to, and as a coach, I let women know it's not like you're going to build up and it fixes everything and then get off of it. And then if you ever get the symptoms back, then get back on it. It doesn't work that way. It's like estrogen. When I say it works in real time, estrogen's low. You're going to feel this. It's guaranteed. It's trackable, traceable. And so women know, oh, if I get off it, this is what I'm going to experience. So why would I want that? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Marie, are there any kinds of HRT alternatives
2: that help with menopausal symptoms if you can't use estrogen due to vasculitis
0: issues? Yeah. And that was a question Melissa asked. And just in the short of time, I want to make sure we ask Melissa's question. And then we have one more question for you too.
1: With vasculitis, it really, if it's severe, it needs to be controlled and managed and, they, and women cannot go on estrogen. If it's mild and it's been addressed and treated then women can go on estrogen but it's a dangerous thing it's just it's not something to mess around with so now you're stuck with management and it's horrible because now you're managing i'm not in the business of managing the symptoms of hormone deficiency but with supplements and drugs and that sort of thing my mindset is let's just get rid of the deficiency and get rid of the problem but like you said there are some women who can't take it but that's a very small group of women very small and so what a woman would want to do would want she would want to reduce inflammation in her body as best as possible. Eating a low inflammatory diet, taking herbs and supplements that are designed to reduce inflammation in the body, exercise, anything that has to do with reducing inflammation in the body, you can help manage menopausal symptoms with, but I feel for her. I I know I, it breaks my heart when women aren't able to take estrogen and the only thing they can do really is manage the symptoms and, The best thing to do is get the inflammation down in the body by whatever means necessary and use a blitz fashion, a combination of exercise, lifestyle, food, low inflammatory diet, like I said, and supplements that support low inflammation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of inflammation, my inflammation that I'm dealing with is weight gain. And I know we only have about five minutes left, but it's very much on my mind, on my heart, in my belly. Uh, but I just, yeah, what? in these last few minutes, let's just talk. and it's such a big issue, literally. but what what can you say? Talk a little bit about weight gain and weight loss with through this
1: period? I use the analogy where I live in Northern California, there's a lot of farm farmers, and when they're trying to fatten up pigs for slaughter, they remove the ovaries. It is commonplace. It's common knowledge actually, that estrogen, deficiency causes weight gain. And estrogen is actually a fat regulator. It is, it curbs carbohydrate cravings, sugar cravings, lowers inflammation, uh, manages glucose levels. So the quickest way to fatten up a woman is really remove her estrogen. And when I talk about giving women therapeutic doses of estrogen to change where she is in her reproductive lifespan, if a woman's brain is under the impression she's in a reproductive prime, she can't be fat. The flat, the stomach has to be flat. Those part of the messaging to the men in the village that she's open for business. When women have larger stomachs they, that they usually get, like if you ever noticed a woman after she has birth gives birth to her first child, her body bounces back. But after the second child, it doesn't. That's because the, the ovaries are starting to shut down. We're really only supposed to have as many kids as we can feed at one time. And then so what happens is the body says, okay, I've had my allotment of kids. And so women start to gain that abdominal fat. So the larger belly sends messages to men, well, she's out of business. She's already had her two kids, her, or she's either already pregnant. She has no use for me. And so when you bring good levels of estrogen on board, like I mentioned, the body tries to mimic a, a younger reproductive health woman. So it changes body composition it burns fat and increases muscle tone and mass so the woman can pop out a baby. Because when women lose estrogen, they get muscle atrophy, everything dries up. And the goal is for the body to deteriorate and decline because that's the estrogen messaging. And so if a woman's brain says, okay, here, I've got to have a libido. I have to be sexy. I have to be pretty. So the skin changes, the fat starts coming off naturally, especially when a woman is on a good farm to table diet. And the muscle tone helps reshape the body. So, this is one of the ways that estrogen helps reshape the body and burn fat. But there's a lot of studies, even on low dose estrogen in the National Library of Medicine, that talk about how estrogen influences the weight of women. Estrogen's low, women are going to get fat. When estrogen is optimal, their body wants to get skinny. And it's just, and it's not just hormones, it's really, it's coupled with a good diet and lifestyle. It's just, Therapeutic dose any hormone replacement therapy needs a good foundational diet and lifestyle to give it support so that it can perform to its fullest clinical capacity.
0: This is fascinating, I I know. we only have about two more minutes. And here I'm like, I'm learning so much with all of these episodes, Stevie. I'm loving all these conversations. I'm going to have that farm to table diet, looking at that extra estrogen. I already exercised, so I'm good there. But there's just so much to it. And I appreciate the conversations. But Stevie, I don't know if you have one final question that you want to ask before we do. Marie, can you just Let us know where people can find you or maybe a good resource that you would suggest if they have more questions. They can certainly get on our Facebook page too, but if there's something to follow you, you're the expert.
1: Yeah. Well, I do have, I've I only take on a few clients at a time because i Damn it, Marie, damn it. <laughs> well, tell you something. I
2: promise my bank account numbers, you've got them, they're yours, go for it. Well, I
1: have a hard time turning down women who when they start begging, it's really hard for me to say no. And I don't want women to have to beg. So my where I am right now is I wanna train health coaches who want to learn how to do what I do. And who to, for me to teach them to learn how to work with these doctors that I'm training. Because the hormone coach and the phys- HRT physician, they work hand in hand. The doctor, HRT doctor's job is to write those prescriptions. The hormone coach's job is to navigate the patient through the hormone balancing process to the sweet spot. But I do take clients on. So whether you're actually a, a woman who wants to get her hormones balanced, a health coach who wants to learn how to be a hormone coach or a physician, if you want to learn how to prescribe hormone therapy that actually makes women better then go to menopause, You can book a free consultation. I'll answer your questions. If you have labs, I'll go over those, but it's not for everybody, but it is for most. If it's for you, I'll let you know. And I, I see what I can do to help you out. But yeah, I think the more people that understand that women have a choice, they don't have to menopause isn't something they have to suffer through. It's actually a side effect that they can control. If they get the hormone, their hormones fully restored with a good therapeutic dose system. That's great news.
0: We're going to celebrate it. That's what we're doing. We're going to celebrate menopause, right? We're going to celebrate this stage. Stevie, close us on out,
2: baby. Well, we want to thank all of our listeners for listening. I hope that you all learned as much as we did in this incredible episode. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. We want to give a big shout out to Chris Spangle, our editor. Chris Spangle of Leaders and Legends, LLC, which provides podcast advice and editing leadersandlegends.net.
0: And thank you again so much. Like I said, this is new to us. We've got a lot of questions that we're gonna keep going down this path and hopefully we're helping some other women that have the same questions and we're gonna keep going. This is a journey, a start for us for sure. So we appreciate your expertise and your time
1: today. Thank you for getting the word out and allowing me to be a part of your platform and helping me get my word out. I really appreciate that. and and all the work that you guys are doing and congratulations on your show it should be very successful
0: i appreciate you very much thank you